0: Everybody, and welcome to the Cultivate Podcast uh, through the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and really glad that you have joined us today. And if you've been with us for the last few episodes, we've been working our way through um, some thoughts and ideas about, about theology. We kind of talked about systematic theology and kind of what those different categories are, the different, uh, the, the different categories of theology, bibliology, theology proper, Christology, those things. But then we also spent some time. Talking about kind of different categories as far as uh, importance, and that we need to do a good job of making sure we understand the difference between things that one must believe in order to be a Christian, kind of the foundational things that one needs to believe to be able to walk and grow as a Christian, important things that Christians can disagree about, but really you need to understand, and then just the things that are interesting. And since then, we've just been kind of working our way through the things that really fall into that essential to believe, and then the foundational things that you need to believe in order to really understand how to walk as a Christian. And so we spent the first one just kind of talking about who God is, theology proper, what it means to have a theistic worldview, what um, some just some at least some introductory thoughts about God as Trinity and what that means. And then we spent some time talking about who Jesus is, his dual nature. What does it mean that Jesus was fully God and fully human? And now we are going to move into uh, this question. So I'll, I'll tell you a story. Well, this happens a lot where a kid is wanting to get baptized. And, you know, it's important for me, the parents want me to do this, more for me to just kind of talk to the kid. And really we do this with anyone who wants to get baptized about their faith and what does it mean? Why do they want to get baptized? What do they think it means to be a Christian? The role that baptism plays in that. And so with kids, I kind of have this routine and and I'll I'll talk to them and it's, it's difficult. It's awkward. Can you imagine like you're a nine or 10 year old kid and the pastor from your church comes to your house or whatever, or you have to come to the church to talk to them? It's really awkward for them. And I try to put them at ease as much as I can and trying to ask them about what they believe, tell me what you know about Jesus. And sometimes it can be, sometimes the kids are real talkative, sometimes they're not. And then usually they'll come to a point where I will say something along the lines of, now, have you ever heard at church somebody say that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Or when I ask them about what does it mean to become a Christian, maybe they'll say at first, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And so I was like, man, that is a great statement, uh, I love that we say it in church. I really believe it. I think it is really important as a Christian. But I say, you know, sometimes I think that in church, we use phrases so much that we say them, but maybe we don't know what they mean or we forget what they mean. When we say Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, what do we mean by that? And sometimes you get a good answer. Sometimes you just kind of get deer in the headlights. But my absolutely favorite part of that is when the kid doesn't give an answer or scared to answer. And then I'll look over at the parents and the parents are giving me just kind of this deer in the headlights look because they are absolutely afraid that they're going to get called upon next. And then I'm going to ask them, OK, well, well mom, what, what, what do not you tell us what that means? Because I think there's a sense in which we think we know what it means. But to verbalize it is 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 difficult for a lot of us. And so we're just going to spend some time today just kind of talking about what does that mean? Because if there if there is anything that falls into that essential must believe in order to be a Christian, knowing what we mean when we say Jesus died on the cross for my sins is absolutely in the center of that. And so to give you a, a fancy word for it, uh, what we're going to talk about today and what we mean by when we say Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. We're going to talk about substitutionary atonement. In fact, there is a longer uh, phrase for it. What I will say, and then some of you will giggle, um, is penal substitutionary atonement, P-E-N-A-L, which has to do with with the law. Um, and, and so when we say that, like, so we're talking about a law-based kind of thing. So that, with, with respect to being a lawbreaker or not being a lawbreaker, have you violated the law? That's what we mean by that. And then substitutionary atonement. And so we'll kind of break down what all of those things mean, but I think it would probably be best for us right now to get to look at kind of uh, at least one key verse. We'll look at several today, but we'll look at one key verse and then kind of explain what we mean by substitutionary atonement. In Romans six twenty three, 23, um, Paul says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you, 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 you put kind of the different, there's, there's kind of two key phrases there and they, and they parallel each other. The wages of sin is death, the gift of God is life. And so the first thing that Paul is saying there in that first phrase, wage, sin, death, A wage is something that you earn, and what you have earned because of your sin is death. And we see that all the way back in the fall, Genesis 2 and 3, where this is what uh, God said the consequence would be of eating of the tree, that that death would come from that. And we learn from that and from what Paul's talking about and, and all throughout the book of Romans is we're not just simply talking about that ultimately you will physically die, But in addition to that, that there is a spiritual death that will come, that is a separation from God. It is something that immediately Adam and Eve felt. They immediately began to feel shame. They immediately began to feel separated. They hid themselves from God. The dynamics of their relationship were changed. And what we see in that, and what we see in the Bible is referring to that as spiritual death, a now relational, emotional, spiritual separation from God. So that's what Paul's talking about and that is the wage that is paid. That that is what you are now owed. So we talk about a wage, you do something and now you are owed something. I work 10 hours, I make $15 an hour. The wage for that, what 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 is owed me is $150. When I commit a sin, what is owed now is death. Okay? And so and in that second phrase, in contrast, but the gift of God is life. So contrasting with wage is gift. This is something that is freely given. Contrast with sin is God. and contrast with, um, you know, the wage of sin is death. The fr- you know, free gift is life. So, and what does that come from? It comes through Jesus Christ. And so there is a wage that must be paid God is a just God, God will, you know, and so if something is owed, it will be paid. And so you owe something. And in this verse, what we see is that Jesus Christ paid that it is, it is a gift. And that is more explicitly said in first Peter 3, 18, um, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We see some of these same concepts and these same ideas here. That why did he suffer? He suffered because of our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And so you put these two verses and these concepts together, and now I feel like we can get to a better place where we can kind of define some of these fancy words, substitutionary atonement, substitutionary, just break it down, substitutionary, substitution, substitute one being standing in for another. That's what we see in 1 Peter 3.18. He suffered for sins, righteous for unrighteous. The righteous person is in the place. He suffered for our sins in our place. And so that is what we mean by a substitute. You owe a wage and your wage is death. And so Jesus paid that wage, the righteous for the unrighteous, as your substitute so you are owed you you owe a, you owe a penalty and as your substitute he pays the penalty for you and so we will just go back to my story with the kids and so this is what i'll always say when i'm talking to the kids is that okay i, I always try to get them to tell me hey so what's what's the big punishment at your house and i think sometimes the parents are afraid that they're going to say spanking and i'm going to freak out or whatever or the, you know that the, the kids are going to say something outlandish Um, but you know, they'll say, oh, it's, it's a timeout. It's a spanking, no screen time, whatever. They'll, they'll say something. I was like, okay, what's the worst thing that you can do? And often it's something like, you know, yeah, I hit, I hit my brother. I backtalk mom or, or I lie or something like that. I was like, okay, so now I've got the punishment and now I've got the, the big crime. And so then I'll put a scenario in front of them. If you, if your brother were to punch your sister, and then your sister starts screaming. And then mom and dad come down and they find out what happened. Now your brother is about to be in real trouble, right? Like, yes, yes, yes. That's like, what if in that moment you looked at your parents and said, hey, instead of punishing my brother, I want you to punish me. Give me the timeout instead. And then I'll ask them, would you do that for your brother? And nine times out of 10, the kid thinks that it's a trick question and that they're supposed to say yes, because that seems like the nice thing to do. Yes, I would. I would take the punishment for my brother. And then I'll just kind of look at him and laugh. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you trying to tell me that even though you get plenty of punishments on your own, you would take a severe punishment for your brother, even though you didn't do it? And they go, <laughs> no. And I'm like, of course you wouldn't. Who, who would do that? And I said, that is what we mean when we say Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us means that we did something that deserves to be punished. And rather than us taking the punishment, God, Jesus, like a very kind brother says to God, the father, I will take that punishment on them. And in Romans chapter five, um, we see just kind of just a more descriptive explanation of some of this in Romans chapter 5 starting in verse 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so we, hear, we have a lot of descriptive words here from Paul describing the situation that we find ourselves in when we are before we have Jesus. In verse 6, he describes us as powerless, and he also describes us as ungodly. He describes us as unrighteous. He describes us as sinners. He describes us as being someone who is under God's wrath. He describes us as God's enemies. These are all descriptors of what God, uh, of, of, of what we are like when we are in our sin. And so this helps us now. Let's move to, to the kind of the, the definition of the second big word in substitutionary atonement. We've already kind of talked about, you know, what it means to be a substitute. And you go to atonement, you know, the, the, you know, shorten that. You get the, the, the base word there, atone. What do we mean by atone? If I, if, I say, if I said to you, and again, this is something that we need to make sure that we do. We talk about Bible words. You know, Bible words almost always mean exactly what they mean in the real world, too. If I say you need to atone for what you did, it might not be a word that you would necessarily use, but maybe you know essentially what that means, which is you have done something wrong and you need to make up for it. And so in that sense, you know, atonement is essentially reparation for an offense or an injury. And that's what sin is. Because of sin, you have have committed an offense. And that offense is primarily against God. And we see that in Romans chapter 5, when we are described as enemies under God's wrath. Also describes us as not righteous. We are not righteous. And what is righteous? Righteous go to right, has the idea of being just, having to be right, not in the sense of good or bad, but right or wrong. And really it's a law term. And all of these things are law terms, which why we refer to it as penal um, substitutionary atonement. It has to do with the law. You are now unrighteous. You have broken the law. And because you have broken the law, there is a punishment. Yeah, and we just kind of keep coming back to these same verses. That, That punishment, that wage that is owed, is death, and so because you have done this, because you have offended God, because you had, there is a reparation for an offense or injury. Because what you need to, uh, because of what you did, you need to atone. You need to make. You need to make this right, and so you need to pay the wage that is owed. And so, and again, in our illustration here with the punishment with the kids, Jesus looks and says. I know that this has to be owed. I will pay this debt for them. Verse 8, I mean, verse 18 in 1 Peter 3, the righteous for the unrighteous. There are lawbreakers that owe something because of their injury. They, they, They need to atone for something. They are unrighteous, but the righteous one, Jesus, the one who has in fact not committed the sin who does not owe any wage of his own um, he pays the penalty for you as your substitute and so this is substitutionary atonement you have grieved God you have violated God you have you have hurt God injured God separated yourself from God all of these different kind of ideas you have done this and because of that you owe a pen you have to pay a penalty you owe a wage and that must be paid. You can pay it, or you can have the substitute atone, pay that wage for you. And so we believe that Jesus then pays that wage on your behalf. And now to tie it back to what we talked about in our last episode, this is why it is incredibly important. I believe that we mentioned this. This is why it is incredibly important that when we understand who God, who Jesus is, that we understand that he is fully God and fully human. As a human, he can be your substitute. But if he were just another human, and as a human, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I, I lived a righteous life. I'm going to die for you. That's, that's, that's just an equal exchange. One person can die for one person. If you're just thinking about it in terms of of cost, of wage, of what is owed. But if the son of God sacrifices himself and he pays the wage, he has the ability because of his divine nature, because of who he is, because of the quality and the significance of his sacrifice, he has the ability within his nature to die for the entire world. He is not just one person dying for another person. He is a person who is also the son of God, who then has the capability to die for the whole world. And so when people think about this, you know, uh, know, it's like, man, that just that sounds it sounds barbaric, you know, that 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 God, in order to um, to forgive us, you have to die. And that in order for him is, well, you either going to have to die or I'm going to have to kill my son On your behalf, people just have a lot of unease about that, can feel weird about that, that can make it feel like that there's something weird about God. But if you just read the Bible cover to cover all throughout the story, you will see that again, from the very beginning, Genesis chapter three with the fall after Adam and Eve's first sin, we see for the very first time in order to cover them literally for their sins, he kills an animal and makes clothes for them. And then all throughout the Old Testament, I mean, as soon as we go all the way, you know, go go next to, to the Passover. The Passover was like, and, you know, we want you to sacrifice this lamb and and, and put the blood over the door. We, we see it in the covenants that Abraham made with God. We see it all throughout the law. All throughout, we have this imagery of, Of, in order for there to be forgiveness, there needs to be a blood sacrifice. And you can decide how you feel about that. But whatever it is you feel about that, I believe that it is intentional. It is intentional that it be a little repulsive, that it seem intense, because this is God's way of communicating to us how serious and big. Sin is. But then some people will kind of take that particular line of thinking and say, well, that's really then all Jesus' death on the cross was. It was just kind of a sign, it was a symbol. This is how serious sin is, where Jesus is willing to be humiliated and tortured and dies as this great moral example. And like, man, that's just how serious this is. That's how bad this is. And then I look at Jesus and what he went through. And I feel so much shame. I feel so much guilt that I want to do better. I want to be better. And then I come to God for forgiveness. And I will not deny that there is that sort of emotional, relational aspect to it. But I just do believe that it is insufficient. And I believe it's insufficient just based on the verses that we've already looked at. We've already seen the idea of that the wage that has to be paid talking about that he died righteous for unrighteous. I mean, I think the more we see righteous and unrighteous in there, we think of that that God is thinking about this very much in legal terms. What is owed? What is the penalty? And again, we go back to Romans chapter 5. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think you have to work really, really hard to read anything other in that passage, anything other than su- substitutionary ideas. Like if I said I'm going to die for you, man, I think you you read that and and the, and the kind of the natural imagery that comes to your mind is just like we've got a whole bunch of people and we're all being kidnapped and tortured or whatever, and I'm going to kill one of you and. You know, the bad guy picks somebody and you're like, no, 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 choose me instead. Pick me. Don't kill my daughter. Don't kill my friend. And that is the imagery that Paul is drawing up here. You would not do this for a terrible person. You might, somebody might do it for a good person. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were sinners and and by sinners, again, we have the the weight of all of this, you know, someone who is separated from God, the unrighteous, the ungodly, God's enemies, that, that Jesus died for us. And so died in our place in order that our sins can be forgiven. And so I, it's really not important to me necessarily. I mean, it could be for you. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably the kind of person who would love to write words like this down, substitutionary atonement. I think it is important for you to understand, if not that phrase, to understand that concept. Because at the very core of who we are and what we believe as Christians, what Jesus did for us on the cross is at the very center of that. And it is very important for us to be able to, in our hearts and our minds, to be able to construct something that makes sense. I understand that my sin has a consequence, either I have to pay the consequence, but Or Jesus has voluntarily said he would pay that consequence, that payment on my behalf. And I can either accept that or I can continue to pay it on my own. So when we say that you want to accept Christ, that's what we mean. I want to accept this thing that he did on my behalf and I want to make it personal for me. So the way that I end it with the the kids is, So Romans 6.23, it says this thing about a gift. How do you make a gift yours? He did it. He's given you the gift. He made the sacrifice. How do you make the gift yours? And we'll talk about Christmas and birthdays or whatever. And then the idea is is that you take it. It's free. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it. You just need to take it and make it yours. So he has offered this gift by dying in your place. And it it is necessary for us to take that gift and make it our own. So uh, we will continue, continue to talk about theology. I think it is really important for us to be able to kind of categorize these things and make sure we understand the specifics of the kind of the key essential beliefs that all Christians need to have. And so uh, next, we're going to kind of talk about really going to try to answer the question, man, is, is, is this the only way? Is believing in Jesus the only way that one can get back to God, which I think is an implication of this? I think is really important for us to talk about. So thanks for joining us. I hope you will come back and join us next time. We would also love to see you um, at the Grove Church. You can find us at thegrovechurch.org connect. We would love to see you on a Sunday if you live in Northwest Arkansas, or you can join us online. We stream our 1030 service every Sunday. Again, thanks for joining us.